This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Believer discretion is advised. Believer discretion means from verse 6 that we should expect to hear of these wars and rumors of wars. For example, just read yesterday of an article in the, the journal Business Insider. The title is, Minutes to hours after a nuclear blast are critical for your survival. Disaster experts explain how to protect yourself in a worst case scenario. And in this article, it went on to explain that there would be 30 minutes or less of warning before a nuclear bomb was going to explode. And it was explaining where you should go for shelter and how you should cover your eyes and then how you should immediately blow your nose to get the radiation out and you should go take a warm shower immediately with lots of soap and a lot of instructions for what to do after a nuclear. That's very disturbing, very troubling. To say the least, it's disturbing. It removes peace. You know, Russia has now moved their nuclear arsenal on the ready and it sounds like the end is near. But Christ said in verse six that the reports of wars and rumors of wars must happen, but don't let those rumors take away your peace because he said the end is not yet. Because he says in verse seven, nation would rise against nation. And that's what we see, this international state of nation rising against nation. Russia rising against the nation of Ukraine. North Korea rising against the nation of South Korea, rising against Taiwan, Yemen against Saudi Arabia, Iran against Israel, everybody against Israel, but especially Iran. And these are nations that are rising against nations. And then Christ spoke of famines, great famines. Ethiopia is the shiny example. Millions have died from the famines in Ethiopia. And then earthquakes in diverse places when you least expect it, places like Thailand, who would ever thought it wasn't considered in the area of faults. And he refers to all of these in verse eight, Christ refers to all these as the beginning of sorrows, the beginning of sorrows. The word sorrows there in the Greek is the word for labor pains, birth pains, like a baby is gonna be born and a new baby is about to be born because it says in Romans 8.22, Romans 8.22, we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Now Christ turns to what will happen to believers during this time in verse nine. Verse nine, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So what's on the agenda for believers is persecution, murder, and hatred. Apart from that, what a wonderful place. And the world is falling deeper and deeper into deception and trouble. And there are gonna be two groups as this deception and trouble are going on 
two groups that are gonna be blamed for it all, believers in Christ and Jews. It's all those, those Bible believers and it's all those Jews that are to be blamed. And Christ said that there was gonna get to a point where there's actually gonna be a betrayal in verse 10, verse 10. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and hate one another. During the time of the Romans here, there was a Roman historian named Tacitus, and Tacitus wrote this. He said, first, those were seized who confessed that they were Christians, and then on their information, a vast multitude was convicted. So they turned, that's betrayal. Now deception, is always led by some kind of a prominent person, some person, some teacher that uh, teaching is so eye-opening, it's so wonderful, I never heard this before, it's so new, it's never been revealed before, it's like a breath of fresh air. Those are the marks of a deceiver. And Christ described what would be the greatest factor in removing from people's hearts the love of God, and he said, in verse 12, verse 12, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. The word iniquity there is the Greek word for lawlessness, no law, anarchy, antifa, lawlessness. Lawlessness is what we see in our country. You know, last Wednesday I was in San Francisco, I was downtown San Francisco, the Israeli embassy, and, and uh, Mike Johnson and I and his, his wife, we had lunch together, we sat on a sidewalk at a sandwich place, we ate lunch and we looked around and as we looked around in San Francisco, it's shocking. All the cars are unlocked because the police will not prosecute anyone who breaks into a car to steal. So the people would rather have their cars not damaged by breaking it so they just leave it open. Lawlessness, that's lawlessness. And Christ said that it will cause the love of many to just go cold, go cold. Love for God will become cold this is what happened in the church of Ephesus, where it says in Revelation 2.2, Revelation 2.2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and hast tried them which are say they are apostles and are not, hast found them liars, and hast borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. He said the word labored three times. You worked, and you worked, and you worked, and you worked, but your heart is as cold as ice. You have no love for God. Works is a deception from Satan that this is what pleases God. I always think of that sign over Auschwitz, Arbeit macht frei. A work will make you free as the prisoners were brought into that concentration camp there. And the thing they said, work will make you free, was a lie. Work never made any of them free. It only sent them to their gas chambers. But that was a lie, that was a deceptive lie. Well, the same thing holds true from the spiritual sense, that within the various religions of the world, it's all work will make you free. Work will make you reconcile to God. Work will bring you, that's a lie, that's as, as bold a lie as on the entrance of the gate of Auschwitz, the concentration camp, it doesn't. Faith makes you free. Trusting God makes you free. Love for God makes you free. And the church of Ephesus just became a cold, sterile machine that worked for God. They sunk into a routine of formal service, of traditional service without any heart for God, without any love for God, just cold, dead, orthodox service for God. And Christ says, 
that lawlessness will do that. And then he says what the goal should be during this hard time. The goal, he says in verse 13, verse 13 he says, he that shall endure unto the end shall be saved. The goal is endurance. The goal is perseverance. The goal is holding on. The goal is not giving up. And Christ said that those who endure to the end are the ones who are saved. What? That's what he said. You mean not the passing wishful prayer of God forgive me for my sins? That doesn't save a person? Not the rush of a feeling and a speaking in tongues that saves a person? Not the cold, loveless working for God that saves a person? No, endurance, endurance. The endurance of Revelation 2.10, Revelation 2.10, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. You shall have tribulation 10 days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. That's the salvation. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Now, speaking about the future now, Christ has spoken about the overall threat to believers, that's deception. He's spoken about the overall international relations between countries, that's wars. He's spoken about the overall state of the world, that's lawlessness. He's spoken about the overall way in which believers are viewed by the world, that's hatred. He's spoken about the overall trend of Christians, that's cold. And now the Lord turns from the overall deceptions and wars and lawlessness and hatred and cold-heartedness to speak about the overall hope of the world. That's verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. So he now turns to the gospel for all the world. This is so typical of God. God who counters deceptions with truth. God who counters war with peace. God who counters lawlessness with commandments. God who counters hatred with reconciliation. God who counters cold-heartedness with love. And he does this because in the future of the world, it will become more and more worse, more and more sinful, and that increased sinfulness and terribleness, it triggers God into action. And the action that it triggers God into is Romans 5.20, Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Where the height that sin jumped to, God's grace jumped higher. And he uses this word where, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And then he does that, he's saying in the exact place where sin bounces up, in that same exact place, grace will bounce higher. Romans 5.20 is God in the game. He's in the game. You can almost picture it as two basketball players. The one who makes the shot is the one who's trying to keep the person from making the shot. He jumps up, but the guy who makes the shot is the one who jumps up higher. It's a game. And the Romans 5.20 is the game between sin and grace. Romans 5.20 is God in the game saying, I see how much you jumped, I'll jump higher. I see the amount of sin in the world, I'll raise that by a higher amount of grace in the world. It's a poker game. 
It's a poker game where the two contestants are sitting at a poker table. God's on one side of the table and Satan's on the other side of the table and the table is the world. And Satan has placed on the table of the world, he's placed deceptions, wars, lawlessness, hatred, coldness, hopelessness. And it's a challenge to God to see if God's just gonna push his chair back and get up from the table. This is God who has not gotten up from the table of the world, has not said, I'm out. No, just the opposite. As the devil looks at God in the eye, as the devil has placed so much sin on the table of the world and God does not shove his chair back away from the table, God scoots his chair a little closer to the table of the world and he says, I will counter, I will counter. I'm not leaving this game, I'm still in the game, I will counter. I will counter your horrible with my wonderful. I will counter your hopelessness with my hope. I will counter your lies with my truth. I will counter your trouble with my peace. So across from God is Satan, and Satan who is seated at the table, he's placed all this horrible hopelessness and deception and trouble onto the table of the world. And Satan's looking with this defiant straight into the eyes of God, and he sees God there, and God calmly places on the table one move, the gospel. He places the gospel on the table. That's God's wonderful place placement on the table of the world to counter all of Satan's horribleness that he's placed on the table of the world. To counter Satan's deception, he has placed the gospel as the word of truth. Ephesians 1.13, Ephesians 1.13, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you, after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, promise. Colossians 1.5, Colossians 1.5, the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. As Satan has placed on the table there, wars, the gospel he places as the gospel of peace. Ephesians 6.15, Ephesians 6.15, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. As Satan has placed on the table of the world his lawlessness, the gospel is placed as a command, a commandment to obey. 2 Thessalonians 1.8, 2 Thessalonians 1.8, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Satan has placed on the table hatred, God has placed the gospel as the cross of God's reconciliation. God's reconciliation, Colossians 1.20, Colossians 1.20, having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. And to counter God's, to counter Satan's coldness, the gospel is placed on the table as God's love. John 3.16, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And to counter Satan's hopelessness that he's placed on the table of the world, the gospel is God's hope. Colossians 1.23, 1.23, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. This is the impact of verse 14 and it's this one word, this, this, he says in, in verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, then shall the end come. 
It's Satan at the poker table of the world who has challenged God and said to God, look what I've done, are you in or out? And God responds by saying, I'm in. And God places on the poker table of the world, verse 14, verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom. The world is a kingdom. The gospel is a kingdom. The world is a kingdom. The Bible calls this world a kingdom of a place of darkness where Satan is the prince of the world, Ephesians 6.12, Ephesians 6.12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickednesses in high places. And now in verse 14, Christ has said, there's another kingdom. There's another kingdom, which is the kingdom of light, where Christ is the king, 2 Timothy 1.10, 2 Timothy 1.10 and is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And Christ is saying in verse 14, the only hope for man is to transfer from this world's kingdom of death, darkness, and sorrow to Christ's kingdom of life and light and joy. And the only way to transfer from Satan's kingdom to God's kingdom is the gospel which is an invitation. It's an invitation of grace. The gospel is an invitation to obey. 1 Peter 4, 17. 1 Peter 4, 17, the time that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And when Christ began his ministry, he began with a command a command in Matthew 4.17, Matthew 4.17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He preached for men to repent because that was the opportunity to transfer from Satan's kingdom of darkness and death and despair to Christ's kingdom of light and life and hope. And that's why he preached the word repent. Repentance is a command. It's a command. Repentance is a choice. It's a choice where a person can decide to turn from his sin or a person can decide not to turn from his sin. It's all up to the person. Repentance is a choice. And as the gospel is an invitation that can be refused, the command to repent of can be refused. But Christ said, nevertheless, that invitation of the gospel must be given around the world. In verse 14, verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations. Verse 14, Christ went beyond just saying that the gospel must be preached in all the world. He said that the gospel would be preached in all the world. And the gospel came from heaven and it landed in a little tiny country called Israel to the people that God selected to be his gospel carriers, to be his witnesses. He said this about the Jewish people in Isaiah 43, verse one, Isaiah 43, one. Now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. That same chapter, that same chapter, verse 10, Isaiah 43, 10, Isaiah 43, 10, he said, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am, before me there was no God formed, neither shall be after. Even I, and beside me there is no Savior. So he said to the Jewish people in Isaiah 43, 1, but now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. God said, 
he not only created the Jewish people, he said he formed them. He uses the word yatsar. Yatsar is the word for the pot maker, the man making the pots. He forms the clay. He does it with his hands. It's the action of yatsar. The pot's on the spinning wheel. He feels every part of that clay as it's spinning around. He says, this area is not what I want. I'll increase the pressure of my fingers. I'll get that part of that clay just the way I want it. That's how the pot is formed by the hand of the potter. That's how the Jewish people were formed by the hand of God. They formed with a purpose and making the people to serve the purpose of verse Isaiah 43.10, Isaiah 43.10, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, my chosen, my servant whom I've chosen, you may know and believe. God made the Jewish people to be his witnesses, to carry God's gospel message to the end of the world. He gave them all the gifts that were needed to be the gospel carriers. And as God formed the Jewish people to be witnesses, God said, as the potter at the clay, he said, let's see now. The Jewish people are gonna need to be good communicators. They'll need to be good persuaders. They'll need to be good persuaders. So I'll form them to be good persuaders so that they can persuade the world to obey the gospel. But the Jewish people in their rebellion saw that gift and they say, hey, I'm good at this. I can make a lot of money for myself being a lawyer. I'll persuade people in court instead of by the gospel. And as a result, the Jewish people in this country make up 1.8% of the U.S. population, but they make up 33% of all the lawyers. Why is that? God's gift to them. As God was forming the Jewish people, he said, let me see now, I need to make the Jewish people very good communicators, people that can connect with people, can communicate my gospel to the world. I'll give them the gifts of speech and communication. But the Jewish people saw that they had that good communication skills and in their rebellion, they said, hey, I can use those good communication skills in show business and on stage. And as a result, 60% of Hollywood was made up of Jews in a population based in the US of only 1.8%. And then God said, I will put into the heart of the Jewish people the desire to heal and to cure from the sicknesses of sin, from the disease of the gospel, those would be in them. But in their rebellion, they said, hey, I've got a special ability for healing and curing. I'll become a doctor. There's no other people group in the United States that has a population of physicians that is greater than their population in, represented in the US population, except for the Jews. Seven times more, seven times greater than their US population they are as physicians. But the Jewish people failed as God's witnesses, as the majority of Jewish Israelis are atheists, por favor, and there are so few Jewish followers of Jesus Christ that the nation of Israel uses it as a criteria for determining if a person is Jewish. They must not believe in Jesus Christ to be seen as Jewish. But this didn't stop God, because where sin abounds, he says, you jump that high, I'll jump higher. And Christ then turned to the Gentiles, and he says, Line up, the recruitment doors open. I'll make you spiritual Jews, I'll circumcise your heart. You should be my witnesses until I bring, I bring the Jewish people back again. Romans eleven twenty five. Romans eleven twenty five. I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Blindness in part is come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Romans 11, 11, Romans 11, 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. 
but rather through their fall is come unto the salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. How could the fall of the witnesses of the gospel, the carriers of the gospel, bring salvation to the Gentiles? The Gentiles stepped up to the plate. So by turning to the Gentiles to bring the gospel to the world, Christ could say in verse 14, verse 14, nothing's going to stop my church. The gates of hell will not stop it. Verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being such a great jumper. In Jesus' name, amen. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.